be a little tight this morning, and so if I can, I'd like you to I like to tell you a story. I'm a storyteller. I like fun stories. I like interesting stories. My grandkids are getting old enough now where we can start telling some stories, and they get real excited about it. So, if it's okay, I'd like to tell you one of my favorite stories from the Bible. We pick it up. There's three kids who their nation gets conquered in a war. And these kids, along with many others, they get taken away as prisoners of war. And they, they go on this long march, this long caravan. They end up in Babylon. But there in Babylon, people notice these are pretty talented and bright kids. They have a high sense of integrity. So they get set aside, and they start getting trained, and they start developing influence, and they grow. Problem is, when that happens, people get jealous. Right? When people get successful, when people get certain positions of prestige or influence, other people look over and they start getting jealous. And while these kids who were prisoners of war, Jews from another country, were taking these positions, other people started to grumble and get a little frustrated. You, you move forward. And this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, one of the greatest kings ever to have lived on the earth, in terms of power and influence, decides they are going to have this incredible festival. They're going to have this incredible celebration. He is going to be recognized for his power and his wealth and his prestige. And so he orders this statue, this idol built, feet, 90, or I'm sorry, 60 feet tall, probably about the size of our ceiling here. And he invites people from all over the world, people who were in charge of his business from other countries, soldiers, generals, judges, politicians. All of these people come together, and they fill this huge field, and the, the idol is in the middle, and they are going to have this celebration. And when the band plays, everybody's going to bow down and acknowledge him as king and perhaps and so they build up, they bring in all the dignitaries. It's a great, great day. The band plays, and everybody falls down and worships this idol. Except for three guys. They're over on the side, and they say nothing. They just remain standing. Because they are Jews, they do not bow before any god but one. And that's just the moment that their enemies were waiting for. And they run to the king. King, did you just see what happened? All, all the, these guys that you brought in and you set them over all these positions, they don't respect you. They don't believe in you. They don't obey you. When everybody bowed, they remained standing. And the king gets mad. Because this is his day. This is the day where he's going to be He's going to be known by everybody. So he calls him and he says, is it true? Look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I set up? And we're going to try this one more time. When you hear the music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, we'll go. If you don't, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Then what God can rescue you from. I'm giving you one chance. And there ain't no God out there who can do, do that. And I think their response to him is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. 
their response to him changes his whole world. And they basically say three things to him. And I want to walk through those three things because I think they're powerful for us today. The first thing, and you got to catch this, every important leader in the known world is probably there. Every governor, every representative, every senator, every judge who can make this trip is there. The king's bodyguards are there. The most important military leaders are there. The soldiers are there. And these three guys are standing there. And the king and all of his security says, listen, you got one chance. Bow down or no God can save you. And one of them maybe stands up, pipes up, king, we don't have to defend ourselves anymore. don't have to defend ourselves to you. How crazy is that? When I was a freshman in college, 1984, that's a long time ago, my basketball coach gave me this brochure. This is my second one. I wore the first one out. It should be in my Bible. It's by A.W. Tozer, a pastor. It's called Five Vows for Spiritual Power. Five Vows for Spiritual Power. He says there's five things, if you want to see God's power in your life, if there's five things that mark you as a consistent, consistent, powerful believer in Jesus, here they are. Number one, you deal thoroughly with sin. You deal thoroughly with sin. You don't play around with it. Number two, you don't own anything. You realize everything you have comes from God. Number three, don't defend yourself. Number four, never pass on along, no, never pass along anything about anyone that'll hurt them. And number five, never accept any glory. Those five things are a sermon in themselves. It's the most powerful thing I've ever read on a consistent practical basis. I'd encourage any one of you to grab it sometime. But number three, never defend yourself. Tozer says, if you believe that God is all-powerful, if you believe that God has your best interests at heart, you let him defend you. God has the right to use you, however. God has the right to use Stephen as a martyr and let people stone him. God has a right to let people drag Jesus' name through the mud to pull whiskers from his beard. God can do that because his purposes are greater and his purposes all come out of love. And we spend so much time trying to defend ourselves, we actually step in front of God, and we don't let him do what he says he's going to do. It happens two different times. The first time we try and defend ourselves is when we're in the wrong. We've done something wrong, and that takes us back to, that takes us back to Tozer's deal thoroughly with sin. You see, we don't like to deal thoroughly with sin. We like to pretend it's not really sin. Oh, that rule about sex outside of marriage, that was really back 2,000 years ago. That doesn't apply today. That's not really sin. Talking about somebody, well, that's, that's not really gossip. I'm just, I'm just sharing the news of the day. It's not really sin. It's not sin. It might be a little inappropriate, that joke, but it's, it's not sin. And a lot of times we take things that the Bible says this is sin, and we say, well, I, no, it's not. And that sin acts like poison in us. It changes how we think. It changes how we feel. It changes how we relate to people. 
And we don't even see what it's doing to us. But it impacts us. The Bible says if you're going to deal with sin, there's two things. You confess it and you repent. You turn in a different direction. And the good news is, the Bible says that's all you have to do because God's grace is sufficient. Jesus' death on the cross covers every sin. You don't have to earn your way back. You don't have to prove yourself. You simply confess and turn. A lot of pastors today don't like to talk about sin. They don't mention it in their sermons. They don't want to make people feel bad. I remember hearing Mark Daly, president of Dallas Theological Seminary, speaking on this. He says, if we do not acknowledge sin in its fullness and deepness and its power, then we only preach a partial gospel. And grace doesn't matter to us. It's only when we understand how sinful we are, what we've done, and then we understand how much God has forgiven us that grace begins to matter even more. So when we're in the wrong, we deal with sin. But we also want to defend ourselves when we're not in the wrong. The Bible says if you follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. If you follow Jesus, people are going to say untrue things about you. I guarantee you, if you tweet on the validity of the Bible, people are going to talk back to you. Right? If you call something a sin on Twitter, you're going to get blasted or any kind of social media. If you take a stand for what's right and the people around you don't like it, you will suffer. You see, Isaac, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their story. They knew the stories of Moses and of David and of Isaiah. The Bible often uses the word, uses the phrase, vindicate. God vindicates us. He proves us right. He clears someone of blame. In Isaiah, there's a number of passages about the suffering servant. This is what one of them reads in Isaiah 50. The servant says this, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand before Nebuchadnezzar. Nah, we don't have to defend ourselves against you. God vindicates us. Once that's out of the way, it gets better. Once that's out of the way, it's, uh, it gets interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves against you. The God we serve is able to rescue us, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. I don't got to defend myself against you. The God I serve is big. The God I serve can rescue me. The God I serve will deliver me out of your hand. How big is God? Is your God somebody you pray to before you eat? Or you pray about a test? Or is your God big enough to save you? Is your God big enough to deliver somebody from depression and anxiety? Is your God big enough to heal a marriage? 
Is your God big enough to rescue your child when they're going through the pits of hell? Or is your God Jesus? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a big God. With all the majesty and all the splendor arrayed around them, everybody who was important was there. Uh Uh-uh. The God we serve is more important than this. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? Uh, Your God can't deliver you from, yes, he can. Your God's not big enough. Yes, he is. How big is your God? There's a lady at the well in the New Testament. Jesus shows up and they're talking, and Jesus makes a profound statement to her. They have this discussion. He says, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. We're so thirsty. Yet we don't believe God is big enough to give us what we need. We should not get surprised when people around us see God as petty and small because that's what we often reflect. When a curveball comes our way and a setback happens, we get freaked out. We compromise. When we're with people and they bow down, we look around and we're scared to death, we bow down too. It's because we got this tiny view of a great big, huge God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, nope. The God we serve, he he can rescue us from your hand, and he will. But life's more confusing than that. Because we wrestle with the fact that sometimes we have this belief and God doesn't seem to answer the way we want. I, I shared, I think, first semester about my brother passing away when I was just out of college. My brother was T-boned in an accident. We spent a week watching the numbers of his brain pressure. And they crept higher and higher and higher. We prayed, we believed, we underlined verses in the Bible. God, you can heal. You you can save him. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. On Christmas Day, that number hit the point of no return. Fast forward, my first year still in college, I was recruiting a young man who was coming. Week before school started, I get this phone call. He was T-boned in an unmarked intersection out in the country. I drive down to Wichita. He's in the hospital. He had a blow to his head, just like my brother. They're watching the exact same numbers. And they are praying as the number climbs and climbs. God, we believe. God, you can heal. God, you're a big deal. And then the number stops. And they came down. And he was healed. And he came to school. And he graduated from Sterling College. He's my neighbor now. No basketball player. God, I believed you for my brother. And he passed. God, in the same situation, I believed. And you healed. How do we live in that? And this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are great. King, we don't have to defend ourselves to you in this. The God we serve, he can deliver us from your hand. He's big. He will. If you got your Bibles, the two most important words in the Bible for me, 
even if he doesn't, we will still not let him down. Even if he doesn't, we believe absolutely. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down before him. You want to have a powerful life? You want to make a difference? You want to experience God? Live your life even if, not if. If you treat me right, if you make my dinner, if you do these things, then I'll stay faithful to you. No. I will be a faithful husband and father even if life is hard. Coach, if you start me, I'll give you everything I got. No, coach, it doesn't matter if I start, if I play. Even if I don't play, I'm giving you everything I got. Jesus, if you call me and you do this and you heal and you do these things, great. Even if you choose not to, I still won't bow down. You want a powerful life? Live your life even if. Even if I'm lonely, I won't settle for a relationship with a non-believer. Even if I'm broke, I won't cheat or steal. Even if I don't understand, I will not bow down. Why can we do this? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Even if you mock me, I still forgive you. Even if you torture me and crucify me, I still forgive you. Even if somebody put a crown of thorns on his head, even if he healed somebody and they turned and walked away, Jesus came and lived even if for us. And the story gets even better. The king gets mad. He heats up the furnace. He throws them in. They're so hot that the people who throw them in get killed. And he looks up and he says, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in? Now there's four. They're not tied anymore. They're walking around. And the fourth looks like the son of a dog. We don't exactly know who was in the furnace. Some people think it was Jesus. Some people think it was an angel. I don't think it matters. You see, in the New Testament, we find out one of God's names, one of Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. You want to know who showed up in the furnace? Emmanuel, the angel. A lot of people tell me, Dean, I've never heard from God. I've never seen God. Honestly, it's because you're living your life if. You refuse to take that leap of faith. You refuse to step out. You want to see God? You want to encounter Jesus in a real way? Live your life even if. Sometimes you don't see God until you get into the furnace. Sometimes you don't see God until you're about to be overwhelmed and He comes in in a huge way. We have a lot of passive believers of Jesus in our world today. We got a lot of wimpies. People who follow Jesus if everything works out. They're only talking. We need some strong men and women who look and they say, God, you are able to do anything. I believe you are huge. And I will follow you even if, whatever that means. And Nebuchadnezzar looks, he brings him out. And he's amazed. And he, he wraps it up. He says this. He, he says, I can't believe this happened. Listen, there's no God that saves the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego God saves. There is no God. This is an unbeliever who says, nobody's saved like this. I'll leave you with a question. You're going to live your life if? Or are you going to live your life even if? Let me pray. God, you are a huge God. 
And sometimes you move in ways that I can't comprehend. Sometimes you move in ways that blow my mind. And I stand here today and I trust you and I give you my life completely. I pray over this group of young men and women that there would be powerful people that love you passionately, that they would deal thoroughly with sin, and they would trust you to be huge. And that they would go forward living their life, even if refusing to bow down regardless of the situation. And we know we can do this because you are the God that saves like no other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.